Salwete Romani, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we tell you about strange things that have happened in history. And yes, every time we do a podcast about the Romans, that will be my introduction. You've also been doing Latin on Duolingo recently. I have, yes. Uh, my name is Barnaby King, or mihi nomen est Barnaby King, and I am joined by Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Uh, well, my arm's still broken. Yep, that is true. That's the nature of broken arms. I don't think I'll mention it every week that it's well, broken. Well, this is the thing. I was thinking about asking how your arm was, but I, I do ask how your arm is quite frequently because, you know, we live together. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. So for this week, I've had some stuff on my mind. I've been thinking about bad rulers, bad heads of state. Why have you been thinking about that, Barnaby? I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but I I do have to thank you for not mentioning the uh, 30 other people in this room as part of this work meeting. I'm just going to open the work meeting champagne. And uh, Susan, could you tell the work meeting band that they're on after the work meeting DJ has finished his set? That's great. So yeah, I've been thinking about bad rulers and I, I can't think why. No, no. I mean, we're doing we're doing quite well as a country. Nothing oh, yeah. to complain of here. Absolutely. No, no. We 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 fully support the British government. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know what happened there. Felt like something took over my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so of course, some of the most famous bad rulers are some of the Roman emperors. Yeah. Now, we talked about one previously. We talked about Caligula. And little Boots. Little Boots. And how, you know, he might not have been as bad or there might have been some more context. You probably didn't want to be around him, but... Oh, no, definitely not. But still, but still, we did feel a bit sorry for him by the end. Yeah. So this week, we're going to talk about a Roman emperor who is also famously bad and probably more deserving of that title than Caligula. Okay. We are talking about not his immediate successor. We are skipping an emperor and going on to Nero. Oh, nice. The last of the Julio-Claudian emperors. People, I think, tend to think of Nero as a worse emperor than Caligula anyway, Mm. but also more competent, maybe? Uh, Yeah, I suppose that's a fair assessment. There are definitely things that... Uh, were quite good under his reign. Mm. And of course, he managed to reign for longer than Caligula did. <laughs> okay, but that's not a, like a difficult thing to do. Well, no, Caligula reigned for about four years. Um, Nero reigned for nearly 14. Okay. Um, so in that way, yes, he was a more successful emperor. And there was probably a longer period of peace and stability. Okay. But with Nero, things went bad and they went bad in such a weird way. All right. So we're going to we're going to talk about his life and I'm going to talk about some of the the kind of rumors that emerged around him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um because obviously there are a lot some people w- may know them uh most famously he you- he f- he played his lute while Rome burned. Well, normally it's he fiddled while Rome burned. I he know, but that sounds lute. dodgy to me. <laughs> yeah, he played his lute or he played his lyre. Yeah. Um, the other one that people often say is that he had an incestuous relationship with his mother. Yeah. Um, who he then like had beaten to death with an oar or something yeah so we'll go into all that later on but we're going to start uh right back as we normally do uh with his birth nice now was uh, it weird 
Uh, well, it was in unusual circumstances. Okay. Not the birth itself, but some of the stuff around it. Right. Um, so, like with Caligula, most of our sources from that we get from this are from uh, three places. It's the writers Suetonius, Tacitus, and the Greek Cassius Dio. Are we going to have to give them a shout out at the end of the podcast and be like, thanks so much, Suetonius? I mean, we could, but Cheers, they, are all, they are all dead. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's true. For a long, long time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's notable because all of whom were not favourable towards Nero or really the Julio-Claudian dynasty in general. Like, cool. they were writing after the fact and bigging up the current ones and sort yeah, of going, yeah. you know, the better than the bad ones, the, the previous ones sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so that is important to note, and it's kind of it's where we get some of the rumours. But anyway, mm. so uh, Nero, or as he was initially known, Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Oh, my God. Yep. He was born on the 15th of December in the year 37 CE in Antium which is modern-day Anzio. It's about 50 kilometres south of Rome. Okay. His mother was Agrippina the Younger, who was the sister of Caligula. Right. And therefore was herself a daughter of Germanicus, who we Uh, talked about in Caligula. Okay, Germanicus is the best guy ever. Best guy ever. Oh my God, so good. He's so good. Everyone loves him. He is the best because he never got to be emperor and disappoint people. (laughs) Uh, You're just saying that because you don't get Germanicus like (laughs) I get Germanicus though. Um, So yes, daughter of Germanicus and therefore the great granddaughter of Augustus. Mm -hmm. And her father was someone who you probably haven't heard of. Uh, He was Gnaeus Domitius Ahenobarbus. Okay. I, I, Ahenobarbus is getting me. That's weird. So the name means bronze beard. Oh. Or colloquially red bearded. And okay. apparently the many men in the Ahenobarbi did have red beards. Sure. Okay. That's actually like calling somebody red bearded is like a thing throughout history. Yeah, very much so. So yeah. Okay. I can get behind that. Yeah. I'm just not used to, I don't know, H sounds in Latin. Oh, perhaps? fair enough. Yeah. In names. But mm. yeah, that's, that's literally, as I said, it translates as bronze beard, nice. which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But also I hope that they didn't have the same thing we have these days where having a reddish beard is like often, often laughed at perhaps. <laughs> well, the Ahenobarbi family were, they were pretty powerful. They were kind of on the decline at this point, but they were definitely good stock. Um, mm-hmm. Domitius, uh, Nero's father, he himself was the uh, grandson of Octavia, who oh. was the older sister of Augustus. Yeah. And his uh, granddad was Mark Antony. Right. Okay. So they're all well connected. Yeah. So Nero really is born with incredibly blue blood. Yeah. Even if it's, you know, kind of comes with a little bit of incest attached. Yeah. This point in the Julio-Claudian dynasty, there's a lot of intermarrying and the incest only continues as we get later on. Well, also, wasn't Caligula rumoured to have had ancestral relationships with his sisters as well yes if he did and i think it's not entirely likely Mm -hmm. but if he did he did not with agrippina okay because agrippina had actually been exiled oh okay because she was apparently involved in a plot to kill caligula Oh, really? Yes. That's cool. She and her other sister, Lavilla, were both exiled. And Mm -hmm. it 
there's a number of possibilities. There are is a possibility that, you know, she was involved in a plot. Yeah. It's a possibility it was a political move to try and distance himself from them because mm-hmm. of incestuous rumours. That's fair. It could that also, sucks though. <laughs> it could also be that other people were trying to get rid of people close to Caligula. Right. So they were like, hey, your sisters are plotting against you. Better get rid of them. I so that see. then we can, you know, surround you with our people instead. Yeah, okay. Oh, that would suck. It would suck. So we don't know for certain, but... Okay, but we're definite that there was no incestuous relationship with Agrippina and Caligula. I think it's very unlikely. Cool, cool. Um, So Agrippina was in exile, and uh, Domitius had actually died when Nero was two. Okay. So for a lot of his childhood, uh, Nero was actually raised with an aunt. Okay. And... Compared to other high-born Romans, he kind of grew up in poverty. Mm. He didn't have access to the sort of education that you would expect someone of his pedigree to have. Like, normally, someone whose blood is this blue would be groomed to be emperor from the day he was born. Yeah, I'm kind of... I am kind of imagining them being like, okay, so we've got this kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Germanicus's grandson. Yep. He's also related to Augustus. Yep. The best emperor ever. Indeed. Um, so we should probably do something about this and make <laughs> sure that he's, you know, ready to take the throne. Yeah, instead they're just kind of like, you know, he's there, his mother's in exile, that side of the family is kind of out of favour. Um, there's also rumours that Agrippina murdered Domitius. Oh, great. Okay. Um, but... Again, this is one of those ones where it's like, this doesn't seem likely. Jeez, I'm starting to feel sorry for Agrippina. She's just got people constantly around her being like, she's trying to kill her brother. She definitely kills her husband. She's our murderess. And she's just sitting there being like, he had a really bad fever. Like, what, what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, Agrippina is actually, she's a really interesting person. I'm thinking of doing an entire episode dedicated to her. Okay. Because she has a pretty interesting life herself. Mm. And she does... Admittedly, like, she features quite heavily in this story. Yeah. Because there are reasons that people suggested that there was an incestuous relationship going on between Nero and his mother. Okay. Um, but not the reasons you might think. Ooh. Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Nero grows up having not a great life until he's 12 years old. Okay. Because in uh, the year 49 CE, when Claudius is emperor, he recalls Agrippina from exile. Oh, cool. Claudius seems okay, usually. I mean, you might want to reserve that judgment. Okay, I'm going to reserve that judgment. Forget I said that. When I then say that Agrippina... (laughs) Agrippina then uh, marries Claudius... Oh, Okay. Is, oh wait, no, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, and he is her uncle. Oh, hun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, okay, ignore all of my previous concerns. Yeah. My previous feelings about Claudius. Also, yeah. he invaded England, the bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, you could do it again now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you'd say that, Barnaby. We love the British government. Yes, have no we do. reservations. Yes, absolutely. All hail Johnson. Uh, <laughs> Oh, God. Um, So, Agrippina becomes Claudius's fourth and final wife. Oh, my God. Oh, wait, no, we've decided last time that that was an okay number of wives to have. Oh, yeah, that's not unreasonable. Yeah. Um, Two months after their marriage, Agrippina manages to convince Claudius to adopt Nero as his own son. 
Right. So he changes his name from Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus to Nero Claudius Caesar Drusus Germanicus. Cool. I love that he sticks the Germanicus in there. He's like, hey. Yeah, because now at the age of 12, he's finally being groomed for power. Right. And of course, one of the things is we want to link him to Germanicus, who everyone still loves. Yeah. Despite Caligula. Yeah. Everyone still loves Germanicus. So if we can just squeeze that in there. Yeah, definitely. Just to remind everyone that, hey, he comes from good family. Mm-hmm. He's Germanicus's grandson. And, Please ignore Caligula. And yeah, everyone's ignored the fact that Caligula was absolutely mental. Okay. Yeah. Um, does Nero mean anything? Um, Not that I know off the top of my head. It okay. could very well do. It might just be a name. Uh, do you want me to look that up quickly? That would be awesome. So it doesn't seem like it really has a hugely distinct meaning. It was quite a common name amongst aristocratic families oh, at the time. Right. Okay. Um, there's some suggestion uh, that it was somewhat related to the Sabine word, meaning strong and energetic. Oh, nice. Okay. But I, I think it's just a common name. This is not like Caligula, where it's a nickname that has a very specific meaning. Yeah. This is just his name. and It's just what he's known as. Cool. So he's just decided to pick up the name Nero and be like, let's go with it. Sounds well, good. Well, yeah. I mean, he's been given this name. Yeah. Because, you know, he's got to really tie himself to, or he's got to be oh. tied to Claudius yeah. and to all those families because... At the moment, he's mostly tied to the family, uh, the Domiti Ahenobarbi. Yeah. Um, who, as I say, they're somewhat on the wane. Yeah. He's His dad's died. So it's like, yeah, yeah. They, they've got an opportunity here to tie him to power. Yeah. Isn't it? It's so, it's so odd, really, thinking about like all of these PR opportunities for 12-year-old Roman yeah. boys like back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as as we said, he is 12 and this is like, he should have been groomed at the beginning to be emperor, but now they've got a lot to catch up on. Yeah, Jesus. I'm thinking about my year eights now. Yeah. Like if I had, if I had one of my year eight boys and I was like, okay, okay, child, it's time to become emperor now. They'd yeah. probably like sass me quite a lot, to be honest. Absolutely. So Agrippina decides that, you know, he needs to be properly educated. Mm. So br- she brings basically the best teacher that she can, uh, a great philosopher by the name of Seneca the Young. Oh, cool. Seneca sounds good. Yeah, no, he's pretty good. And he is he is very knowledgeable. And he's one of the really good influences mm. onto Nero. Uh, she also manages to secure the help of a Praetorian prefect called Sextus Afranius Burrus. Nice. Uh, generally just referred to as Burrus. Like a donkey. Uh, yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's what this means at this point, but yeah. it certainly <laughs> sounds like that to us. Sure. Um, so these three people, his mother Agrippina, Seneca, and Burrus, kind of become the great influences on the young Nero. Mm. And for quite a while afterwards as well. Do you want to know one of the funny things about Seneca? What? Uh, Seneca is now, you like, it's the name of an online learning system that a lot of people use for homework. Oh, really? So Seneca is actually educating 12-year-old ah, boys to this day. Brilliant. Hopefully none of them turn out like Nero. I don't know. Some of my year eights, man. I think they're kids. Well, reserve judgment until I've told you the whole story. Okay, I will reserve judgment until you've told me the whole story. I hate Claudius. (laughs) Although 
<laughs> Although on a side note as well, if you just add another N to Seneca, mm-hmm. then he becomes the name of a laxative. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Nero, as Claudius's adopted son, mm-hmm. uh, is made co-heir with Claudius's natural son, Britannicus. Oh my God. What? We've done co-heirs before in Roman times. Oh, that, 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 was, that was old times. I know it didn't work then, but it'll work this time. Trust me. It really didn't work last time. It'll work this time. It I won't know, work this time. I know that Britannicus is his natural son and he's about four years younger than Nero. Oh, no. But it's fine. It's fine. You know what? You know what, though? Just to be sure, yeah. we're going to really cement Nero's claim by marrying him off to Claudius's natural daughter and therefore Nero's stepsister, Octavia. Great. Yeah. We're, we're just going to really cement that Nero is part of this family. Mm-hmm. And then he won't have any reason to resent Britannicus and they can rule together. They won't. Oh. never, like, oh my God. The Romans, why don't they learn? On a side note, so obviously I am being sarcastic. This does not end well. Spoiler, the Romans continue to do this. They continue to name co-heirs and this happens every single time. Time. Yeah, like, I. (laughs) Sorry, this drives me nuts. Like, it's okay. You know, you know, in Stardust. Yeah. As in the novel by Neil Gaiman and the very popular film. Oh yeah. You know how in Stardust the whole point is you have a bunch of sons and they're supposed to kill each other off by the time that you die yeah and then but in this case there are still a reasonable number of princes left so a lot of it is the princes trying to kill each other off yeah so that they can be the sole heir and then the dead king is like really happy about that and is like oh yeah that brings (laughs) them strength like is that what's going on here do you create co-heirs so you know that the biggest bastard will rule Rome I think it's a bit of a hangover from the Republic because oh, the Republic was typically ruled by two figures. That's true. You had two consoles. But that didn't really work out either by the end. Well, it didn't, but Rome is very heavily ruled by tradition. Oh. So I think this is kind of a hangover from those days. Okay. But I just I, I just think that if you've got this like generational trauma in your family, yeah. you shouldn't keep reliving it. Almost certainly not. Mm. But they do. Okay. (laughs) And in 54 CE, uh, when Nero, about a couple of months before he's 17, uh, Claudius dies. Okay. We don't know exactly the circumstances, but it is very likely he was poisoned. I mean, he's he's a Roman emperor, so how else is he going to die? And it's even more likely that he was poisoned by or at the order of Agrippina. Yep, once again, he's a Roman emperor. How else is he going to die? Yeah. There are some suggestions that Nero might have known about this. Right. Or he might have been in the dark. Uh, Suetonius has Nero give a speech at one point. Now, I should point out, one the story that Suetonius gives is that uh, Claudius was poisoned by some mushrooms. Okay. And uh, Seems a bit obvious, but sure. <laughs> well, Nero later gives a feast... And he serves mushrooms, saying that they are the food of the gods. Because after all, they turned his father Claudius into a god. <laughs> so it's like... Oh my god. If if that is true, then it's like, yeah, Nero knew exactly what was going on. I, I love how blatant Suetonius has made Nero. Oh this. yeah. I mean, like, yeah, yes, I murdered my father. What of it? So if we if we believe 
Suetonius, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't actually be out of character for him to be so blatant. Okay. Um, but we'll get onto that later on. So we're still very early days. There, it's Claudius has just died. Right. And it's kind of that intermediary period when it's like, we know we're going to have a new emperor. We're going to kind of call them consul for a while. Maybe we should have a republic again. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the Praetorian guards start sharpening their swords and they're like, <laughs> yeah, you better not. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And also at this time, mysteriously, the rivals of Agrippina and Nero start disappearing. Oh, wow, I wonder why. Yeah, absolutely. And one of these rivals to disappear is Britannicus. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, really? Now, the question is not ver- not whether, you know, whether Britannicus was murdered, because he definitely was. He was actually poisoned the day before his coming-of-age ceremony. Oh. And this is actually really important because boys in Rome were actually quite vulnerable. Mm. Um, they had fewer legal protections than when they were, you know, legally men. So the okay. coming of age ceremony was really important. They they used to have amulets called a bulla, yeah, which are designed to, you know, protect them through boyhood because they are vulnerable. And then they have that taken away during this coming of age ceremony, and they're given, you know, the toga of manhood. Yeah. Um. So Britannicus being murdered the day before, it's very much like you know. Sorry, Britannicus dying the day before. Mm. It's very much, you know, he was murdered. Almost definitely, yeah. The question is, though... Also, the bullet clearly didn't work. Well, yes. (laughs) But the question is whether or not Nero or Agrippina were responsible. Mm. Because suggestion would be that, you know, Agrippina wants to get rid of Britannicus so that her son is the one who is uh, in charge. But actually, at this point, it seems like Agrippina was kind of going off Nero a bit. Oh, no. Because he was being a bit independent. Oh, no. Can't so she starts maybe moving her loyalty to Britannicus, oh. and then Nero goes, nope, and has Britannicus killed, so she has to go, well, Nero's well, the only Well, I've only got the option. one son then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We don't know for yeah. sure. There are multiple versions of these stories. Uh, but regardless, Britannicus is gone. definitely murdered, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Nero becomes emperor, and this is two months before his 17th birthday. He is the youngest emperor until Elagabalus, who's someone I'm going to do an episode on in the future. Why, just because he's got a silly name? Uh, because he was a sadistic prankster. Oh. Um, he... <laughs> but Elagabalus is a silly name. It is though. a silly I just name. I acknowledge that. <laughs> but he breaks Nero's record when he becomes emperor at age 14 Ooh. in 218 CE. Okay. That's, any- that's not going to go well for you. Richard II was about 14 when he became king. Yeah. So Nero is a very young king, but mm-hmm. he has a pretty easy rise to uh, the job of emperor because he's supported by the Praetorian Guard. Yeah, that was that was good moving there, Agrippina. Well done. Especially because she had managed to move Burrus into one of the top positions in the Praetorian Guard. Excellent. Uh, Nero himself did not display interest in many of the things a highborn Roman should. He wasn't really interested in oratory, for example, which Mm. is, you know, super important if you're going to be a Roman politician of any sort. Yeah. So his first speech to the Senate was actually written by Seneca. (laughs) 
Um, but this was probably quite handy because Seneca did a really good job. Yeah. Uh, he wrote that Nero will eliminate the ills of the old rumours and he pays particular deference to the Senate, which Excellent. Caligula and Claudius both had not done. Right, okay. So as such, the Senate supports him, mm-hmm. the Praetorian Guard support him, mm-hmm. his ascension to the throne is super easy. Yeah, perfect. That's pretty much everyone you want on your side, isn't it? Except like yeah. the people, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. It does seem though that Agrippina definitely sought to rule through Nero. Oh, sure. Uh, there are actually coins minted with both of their faces on it together. Oh, cool. Okay. Which is suggested that, you know, she's his equal. Yeah. And this kind of fueled the rumours that started that Nero was in an incestuous relationship with his mother. Right. It, it's kind of because there's this misogynist uh, idea in Roman history that the only way a woman can get into a real position of power is by immoral means. Right. Okay. So that's fascinating to me as like a medieval historian. Yeah. Because I'm so used to the idea of somebody ruling alongside their mother if they happen to Mm. be quite young. Yeah. Like that happened all the time through medieval history. So the idea of somebody like somebody's mother using their like youngish son to gain power. Yeah. Like, yeah, like they just want power. Yeah, I mean, it it absolutely makes sense. But mm. I mean, you do have to remember that though Nero is only 16, he is, well, nearly 17, he is considered a man. True. He has gone through his coming of age ceremony, which again, actually is an interesting thing of itself. They didn't have a set age for when you were an adult man. Okay. It could happen between, basically between 14 and 17, but it was kind of decided by your dad that it's like, ah, oh, you've grown up now, now you're a man, we're going to do the ceremony. See, that's really interesting because in medieval history as well, there's not necessarily a set coming of age thing, but mm. it tends to be about 21 that people are, yeah. are trusted to rule by themselves. Right. Um, unless they have been a child king for a long time, in which case people never trust them to rule by oh, themselves. No. no, never trust a child king. But I mean, <laughs> at the moment, I'm just thinking about like, I did an episode um, one Christmas time, last Christmas, on um, the Empress Irene. Yes. Who technically according to herself was also a roman empress yes that's true and she also ruled alongside her son yeah and it definitely wasn't incestuous because she had his eyes gouged out yep well in this case as we said it's definitely a rumor that may have started at the time Mm. may have been later on to try and discredit the memory. Um, There are some stories, again, they could be apocryphal about... It's sort of like uh, Nero and his mother were being brought to the same place in the same sedan chair. And then when Nero got out, there were mysterious stains on his toga. And yeah, I know, it's gross. Why are the the Romans so kind of gross? I don't know. But (laughs) as, as far as we are aware, this was not considered to be true like even in their writings Tacitus and Dio both say that these are rumors that some believed right like they don't put it forward as fact they don't even suggest that it might be okay but we read but like later people read this and were like oh yeah (laughs) oh they were banging exactly (laughs) right okay so the first five years of Nero's reign were pretty stable oh and Rome was fine it Which, wasn't on fire yet. No, no, cool. not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like the phrase, not really. It was, it was slightly 
slightly on fire most well, of the time, but not as, much. As we'll find out later, fire was a pretty much ever-present risk for Raheem. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, these first five years, apart from the definite murder of Britannicus, mm. everything was pretty okay. Okay. Um, it's suggested that this is because Nero still had Agrippina, Seneca, and Burrus kind of watching over him and like telling him the right things to say Mm. telling him how to pull the right faces and uh nero was quite popular among the lower classes because he was a big fan of the arts oh cool so he spent a lot on public spectacles and you know games chariot racing which is the thing you need it's the bread and circuses thing all over again yeah um he did have a number of other achievements during his reign uh he was in charge when there was a successful expedition of the Nile. Oh, cool. Um, And he also did have a military victory during his reign as well, uh, which was the Roman Parthian War, which lasted from the year 58 to the year 63. Um, We'll go into that later because like his interest in the arts, Mm. this is a bit of a double-edged sword for Nero. Right, okay. The only thing that seems to be like, you did this perfectly is the expedition of the Nile. Okay. But the big turning point, which seems to happen in all these, you know, crazy emperor stories, is the year 59 CE and the death of Agrippina the Younger. Okay. Now, Agrippina had been falling out of favour with Nero for reasons that are not entirely clear. Okay. Uh, There are a number of suggestions, one of which is that Nero, who, as we know, was married to his stepsister Octavia, Mm -hmm. was having an affair with a woman called Papaya Sabina. Papaya? Popeya. Popeya, okay. Um, Now, the problem was that she uh, was the wife of a man who later would become emperor. Oh, God, And therefore, she was a highborn woman. Mm. So in Roman societies, like, you weren't really considered having an affair if you slept with someone who was, you know, lower class. Sure. But if you were sleeping with a highborn woman who was not your wife, especially one who was married, that was not good. Right. Is this down to the whole, like, women are property thing? So if you're having an affair with a highborn woman, then the problem is you're going to offend her husband or her father or something. Yeah, but it's also just seen as, like, not done. Yeah. As I said, Rome is built heavily on tradition, and this is one of those traditions. Um, So the story goes that Agrippina, who was definitely still favouring Octavia as Nero's wife, wanted the affair to end. Yeah. And Nero was like, No. Right. Okay. But the thing is, the argument against this is that when Nero, spoiler, eventually did marry Papaya Sabina, it was in 62 CE, which was nearly three years after his mother's death. Okay. So it seems very unlikely that he would have been having this passionate affair and it's like, no, I love this woman. I'm going to marry her. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Ah, uh, you never know. He could have just been a massive procrastinator. <laughs> I mean, quite possibly. But ultimately, we don't know. There's okay. no real record of this, but it does seem that Agrippina falls out of favour and rumours start spreading that she is plotting against Nero. Right. So Nero orders a ship that she was sailing on to be sunk. Wow. Yeah. Was anyone else sailing on the ship? Uh, Yes. 
They died. Yeah, I would imagine so. Agrippina did not. <laughs> she managed to swim to shore. Amazing. So Nero tries again. <laughs> Hell have no fury like a soggy woman nearly murdered. Well, it's actually a bit sad. Oh. So Nero sends some soldiers after her. And according to Tacitus, uh, she says to them, if you have come to see me, take back word that I have recovered from the shipwreck. Right. But if you are here to do a crime... I believe nothing about my son. He has not hoarded his mother's murder. And then they stab her. Oh my God. I know, right? That's really sad. It's pretty sad. I mean, she did murder a bunch of other people. I mean, though, she so did. So I don't know how much it's... I feel for her. Yeah, but it's, it's still, it's still oh, pretty yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. It's the whole et tu brute moment. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of that, though, the Senate was pretty happy about this. Okay. <laughs> uh, they agreed that, you know, she was definitely trying to steal power away from the emperor. Yeah. Um, Did they have some kind of celebratory party, perhaps, with wine (laughs) and cheese? They had a celebratory work meeting. Yes, of course. (laughs) In the Senate. Oh, absolutely. And in the surrounding gardens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you've got to be spaced out. That's true. You want them all cooped up together? No. Um, So uh, they're really happy about this. They're like, yes, Agrippina's gone. We have the ear of the emperor now. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic. Excellent, yeah. Unfortunately for them, this marks the beginning of Nero's excesses and eventual downfall. Yeah, that's unsurprising. Yeah. So one of the first things that happens is uh, public sedition trials start up again. Oh no, not again. Yep. And Nero's rivals, suddenly, you know, they're all seditious. Amazing. I wonder why that is. Yep. And they're executed quite publicly rather than doing the normal thing, which is, you know, quietly having them Mm -hmm. gotten rid of. Yeah, this is one of those things that we keep seeing because we have been doing, we have done a reasonable number of Romans now, Mm. I guess. And it is one thing where it's like, the good emperors don't have sedition trials. Yeah, pretty much. And the bad emperors create lists of people that they want to have killed for sedition. Absolutely. And yeah... And then it always gets really nonsensical, like, oh, he, um, what was, what was the Claudius one? Not Claudius, the Caligula one where, uh, he said that somebody was taking some kind of medicine. Oh, (laughs) yes. Yeah. He said that, oh God, I forget his name. It was his co-heir. Yeah. He was saying he's taking antidote, therefore he thinks I'm trying to poison him, which is sedition, so I'm going to have him killed. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't even antidote. It was like a cold medicine or something. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, So Nero starts getting a little bit unstable. Oh, wow, yeah. His behaviour becomes unusual, particularly for someone of his status. Okay. I said before that he wasn't interested in the normal highborn stuff, like mm-hmm. oratory or war. Mm. But worse than that, what he was interested in were lowborn pursuits. Oh, no. So I've said he loved the arts. Yeah. And he loved performances. But the thing is, he didn't just want to see them, he wanted to be in them. He oh wanted to sing, he wanted to act... And even that, even that could be done and still, you know, he has high status. Yeah. But he wants to do it publicly. (laughs) But mother, you don't understand. Yeah. I just want to be an actor. I want to be a Broadway star. And she's like, what the hell is Broadway? (laughs) (laughs) He wants to appear in Cats. I want to be on Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) Um. 
Yeah, so this is a real problem because it's important to note that in Rome, actors and performers and singers, they were kind of the lowest of the low. Sure. That's Uh, been the case with a lot of history. I mean, yeah, but this is like... This was even put in law, like they had fewer legal rights. They were seen as on the level of sex workers because, you know, they sell their bodies. Yeah, yeah. Just not for sex, but for performances. I mean, again, it's like in in sort of Shakespeare's day or just just after Shakespeare's day during Charles II's reign, that was also the case. There was definitely, especially with actresses, there's an association between actresses and sex workers. Yeah. So definitely a no-no for, you know, the emperor. Yeah. He cannot be seen in public performing and singing like a common prostitute. Yeah, especially because, like, it it does seem like a lot of the scandals with Roman history are to do with sexual things. They they seem, like, not prudish, but, like, that seems to be the thing that is the worst. I think the thing is, Romans and sexuality is kind of a big topic. Yeah. Because they definitely had some things that we might consider to be prudish, but really what they had was just a different set of ideals. Yeah. Um, It could almost be a full episode or like a mini episode by itself to talk about Roman sexuality, because there's some stuff that they would consider completely normal that we genuinely would consider abhorrent today. Yeah. Um, some of which actually uh, Nero does. Oh, sure. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But what I mean is like the idea of him being linked in any way to something that's like the bad sexuality. Yeah. Like I could imagine that's like a real problem. Yeah. Yeah, that that does make sense. Yeah, you're right. It does seem to be, there is that sort of staining that goes along with it. Mm. That's an unfortunate word to use. No, I know what you mean though. (laughs) I I mean, it's just like, Every single time we have an emperor that's bad, there's a rumour that they're incestuous. Yeah. And it's like, every time. Yeah. So I'm kind of feeling like they felt that that was the worst thing. So you're going to label every single bad person with that thing. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that would, that's that, what I mean. that would make sense. And like I said, it's not a thing that medieval people tended to get accused of. Yeah. So that wasn't high on the list of the bad things with medieval yeah. people. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so going back to Nero, uh, when he's not performing, uh, he starts beginning the building of a new palace Ooh. called the Domus Transitoria, which basically means the house that goes across. Okay, that makes sense. I was worrying it was moving. No, no. <laughs> it was like Nero's moving castle. Amazing. <laughs> no, this is this is not as cool as that. Although it is cool in a way because the idea was that it would be built and connect two of the seven hills that make up Rome. Right. So it was to be built between the Palatine and the Esquiline. Oh, the Esquiline. Yes. I don't know about the Esquiline. No, this is the first I heard of the Esquiline as well. <laughs> Um, but this would have mean that, you know, this would be enormous. Yeah. And Romans, Roman emperors love connecting hills. Oh, absolutely. It's their favourite thing. <laughs> with bridges or with palaces. Uh-huh. Yeah, in a way, this makes Caligula look quite tame. He just yeah. wanted a bridge. He just wanted a bridge, but yeah. it, went over the, um, it went over the temple of it did, Caesar yes. or something, didn't it? Yes. So, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nero wanted a palace to Ooh. just connect the two. Yeah. I mean... Th- the hills in Rome are quite far apart. Yeah. Like, they're quite far apart. But do you want to know the amazing thing? What? The Domus Transitoria is nothing compared to what replaces it later. Oh, my God. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. 
So, uh, by 62 CE, uh, Burrus, you remember the Praetorian guard who yeah. was Nero's kind of uh, advisor? Yeah. He dies. Oh, no. And Nero replaces him with two loyal Praetorian guards who just don't seem to be as competent. Okay. Seneca, now the last of the three who, you know, influence Nero, mm-hmm. he kind of goes, I am out of political allies. Right. I'm going to just kind of go. I think that's fair, Seneca. I think it's a very good idea. But what it does do is it leaves Nero without any good influences around him whatsoever. And he can't make any good speeches anymore. No, he can't. And he turns up next time and like, yo, what up? Yeah, and this <laughs> this bad influence is kind of shown by in the same year. At this point, Nero has not produced an heir. Oh, no. And he blames his wife for this. Which wife's he on this time? This is still his first wife, Octavia. Okay, okay. Um, but she had, she'd lasted quite a while because it seems like she knew how to pull the right faces. Yeah. So she knew what emotions to display, what to hide, just how to act around Nero to just kind of keep out of his way. I don't know why I've got this image of her being like Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> She's like, conceal, don't oh, feel, I see. don't let them know. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but of course, since since she hasn't produced an heir, now she is in his eye and mm-hmm. she can't hide. So she freezes Rome and runs away. Well, she doesn't run away. She gets sent away. Okay. Nero exiles her. Do you feel like there might be a moment of relief? I mean... Possibly, but it's not going to last long. <laughs> right. Because the thing is, there's still a fair amount of public support for Octavia. Oh, no. Stop it, public. So <laughs> Leave her alone. Yeah, so all Nero can do is accuse her of adultery and have her executed. Great, yeah. So then he marries Poppea Sabina. Okay. Who the was, delicious fruit lady. She delicious fruit lady who was already pregnant at this time. Possibly with his child. It might be that he was having an affair with her. But either way, it does seem that she was pregnant at the time because she does then give birth to a daughter. Oh, no. I was thinking that's useful. Ready ready made heir already. Well, it's even worse than that because she gives birth to a daughter and the daughter dies after three months. Oh, Oh, that's sad. And it's quite clear that Nero took this really hard. Mm. Uh, He immediately had his daughter deified. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, can you do that? Yeah, he did. All right. I mean, the thing is, whether or not he could, Nero did. Okay, sure, fine. Which kind of sums up a lot of Nero. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Papaya herself, um, she was his wife for three more years before dying in childbirth in 65 CE. Oh, damn. Some sources say that Nero kicked her in the stomach while she was pregnant, and this is what killed her. Right. But it's very unlikely. I mean, a lot of other writers suggest they had a very happy marriage, yeah. and there are like scenes of plays that depict her in the afterlife waiting for him so that they can be happy together. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But like, it it sounds like he wanted an heir. Yeah. It, it, he would have to be acting really erratically if he was going to pr- kick his pregnant wife in the stomach. Exactly. And also, women died in childbirth all the um, time. Yeah. Like, all the time. I think this is the thing, because... To be honest, I could see Nero being that irrational. Okay. Because his like downturn in his mental health is sharp after Agrippina dies. Right, okay. But so as I said, even though he did seem to love his wife, his behaviour was still pretty weird. Okay, sure. Um 
I've already said that he participated acting in public. Mm -hmm. And people kind of noticed some of the roles he was picking for himself. Yeah. Uh, Particularly Greeks. He seemed to have been a Hellenophile. He really liked the Greeks. I mean, that's okay if you're a Roman, isn't it? To like the Greeks? He liked the Greeks a lot. And this became a bit of a thing later when people were like, he seems to want to be more Greek than Roman. Okay. How dare he? (laughs) I, I know, but okay. So these are two of the roles that he picked. Oedipus. Oh my God. And Orestes. <laughs> Guy, you've got... So, who, <laughs> were, who was Oedipus? What, what was he famous for? He was famous for wanting to bang his mother, wasn't he? Indeed. And Orestes is famous for having killed his mother. Yeah, like, if you've got rumours about you, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. I mean, Oedipus is so is so famous for this that his he we have a whole syndrome named after him now by yeah the oedipus complex yeah Yeah. to be fair the actual oedipus in the play didn't know it was his mum though no this is true and then he blinds himself when he finds out what he's done yeah but anyway but still like you'd want to back off of that kind of thing that's some bad implications jesus nero also clearly has no time for the standards of roman life Uh, In a Saturnalian celebration in 64 CE, Mm -hmm. he went through a marriage ceremony with another man. Okay. With him taking the role of the bride in the ceremony. What the hell? Okay. All right. Obviously, this was not a legal marriage. Romans didn't have same-sex marriage. No, they didn't. And also... I know that the Romans sometimes were okay with the idea of gay sex, but Mm. wasn't there a whole thing about, like, the person who's on the bottom is, like, worthless? Yeah. And Nero has put himself in this position. Yeah. And also put himself in the position of the woman as well, which... Yeah. That's really... Oh, that's interesting. So this was not good. On a side note... Uh, Tacitus and Dio refer to this man as Pythagoras, but Suetonius refers to him as Deriferous. Okay. Deriferous means spear bearer. Oh, hon. <laughs> yes, it is meant to be a double entendre because he's the man in the oh my god in the marriage. Wow. Um, so when he's not marrying men, okay, he also joins in with gangs of thugs and goes about the streets at night beating people up and extorting money from what? them. Yeah. This apparently led to some other gangs basically getting immunity because they pretended that one of them was Nero. Sure. I mean, you would. <laughs> oh my God. Suetonius describes this as like Rome is under siege mm. and it's... Nero that's responsible like you should be taking the siege out to the enemy but he is besieging Rome right uh Dr Rhiannon Evans of Latrobe University is one of my main sources for pulling all these like threads together yeah uh she describes Nero as acting as if the rules simply do not apply to him Again, um, I, I wonder why I, I wonder picked what this you topic. thought about him. Yeah, uh, she also compares him to like the children of famous rock stars who have like life is so mundane for them that they have to get like do extreme things to yeah. get kicks. I get that. Okay, I'd imagine, I'd imagine you would get quite bored being a Roman emperor. I mean, quite possibly, especially if you are a Roman emperor who doesn't care about being, you know, ordinary. Yeah. 64 CE also sees one of the most significant events in Nero's reign and one of the things that is most famous for, the Great Fire of Rome. Ooh. 
But to find out what happens then, you have to join us next time. Is it a fire? Uh, I mean, yeah, is but... It, is, is, is it in Rome? There's, look, there's a lot of stuff to get through. <laughs> okay. And we're going to have to do it next time. All right, fine. <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us for that episode of That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4. And you can suggest any episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on Spotify, it would be amazing if you could give us a five-star review and try and get us out to more people. And as always, thank you to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and don't have co-airs. Bye!